weathering the storm. And I'm really titling it strength training, strength training, strength training. Okay, so say 565. That's half the room. 565. 565. It's a great way to remember there's, what is it, PX90? (laughs) I mess that up every time. P90X, there's cross training or CrossFit. There's all kinds of fitness things out there that you could do to get physically fit. But the Bible actually tells us is that there's one which would rule all the rest of our lives and put our lives totally in order if we'll just do that. And so that's 565. So say 565. See, you already know it better than P90X or PX90. See, (laughs) P90X. Um, 565. That's really what strength training. So let me go here for you. The, The rest of that title, it comes out of weathering the storm. Last week, we talked about, um, specifically, we talked about apostasy. And in 1 Timothy, it talks about the falling away. It talks about backsliding. We use the word AWOL, being absent without official leave. Um, We talked about a a matter of, it's kind of like the apostasy is just saying, you know what, I'm done. And you walk away. It's, it's It's abandoning your post, if you will. And so sometimes Christians do that. We call it backsliding, don't we? So that's apostasy. That was the the one principle. The second one, which is going really hand in hand with it, is apathy. And so apathy is what? Anybody know what apathy is or you just don't care? Apathy is a a complacency. It's a I don't care. Apathy means I can go on and it's like, hey, it's not, that's not my, it's not my deal. I don't care. Let them do what they want to do. See? So apathy is, a, is part of a sickness that can come in that apathy is going to be part of the reason. You don't care that you don't go to church. You don't care that you're sleeping in instead of engaging in what God said. He's building his church. Oh, yeah, but that's man's interpretation of church. Yeah, but hello. So that makes somebody else the boss, which is good for most of us. We need somebody else to be our boss instead of us because we don't always manage so well, right? And so what we have to do is it's called the lordship of Christ. And it's called Christ as the head of the body and the church's body. See? So here we are with apathy. And so to, 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 take against, to come against apathy, or I could almost say, what's that other word? Atrophy. Is that right? Atrophy. Atrophy, which means what? Yeah, you lose strength. It it means that that's what happens when you're bedridden for a long period of time or you're in a cast, for example, and all of a sudden my leg came out and my one leg's this big and my other leg's this big. I had no muscle, see? And so the atrophy that had happened was that sometimes spiritual atrophy happens when we're not doing the spiritual disciplines. We're not working out our spiritual muscle. And so part of today's is strength training and God actually gives us to it. And I'm going to call it the 565 plan. And you'll know what that is. You'll be able to sell it like Weight Watchers later on. Proverbs 22.6. Anybody know what that says? It's in your bulletin. Train them up. I love how, look at the different translations. If right there on the bulletin. It says in the page, Proverbs 22.6, the message reads it this way. Point your kids in the right direction. When they're old, they won't be lost. 
Proverbs 22, 6, and the New Living Translation says, Direct your children on children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. And King James Version says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Amanda, welcome back, sweetheart. Was there a time where you departed? Uh-huh. I'm only asking because I know, and I didn't ask her ahead of time, but you know I love you, don't you? And so what happened is she was one of those who had walked away and probably even meant not only apostasy, walking away, but apathy, not really caring. And it wasn't because of mom and dad necessarily. It wasn't, it was just having to deal with these issues. And I remember that when that was my daughter and she got pregnant out of wedlock, which was a big thing in my generation still. Nowadays, it's not so much of, we don't even hear that term much anymore, do we? But back then... I remember the disappointment that I felt. And, of course, I felt uh, this abandonment by, from God. I had just gotten out of Bible school, and I was entering into full-time ministry. And then all of a sudden, on the day that I found out I had diabetes, I found out later that evening my daughter was pregnant. The test was confirmed. And you know what I did? I was like, okay, today I endured the I've got diabetes thing. I endured that, and I said, well, my blood is your blood. Your blood is my blood. I still had diabetes, but I'm giving myself over. I'm his. Then that night, to find out what we had suspected, but it was confirmed, is that she was pregnant. And we all of a sudden thought about all the difficulties now that a decision, her decision, has brought forth a consequence that she wasn't really ready for because she had schooling and training and so many other things, hopes and dreams, and now everything was changed by that moment, that, that decision. And so I was, I was feeling like God really let me down. You know why? Because I've had that verse since I got saved. I had that verse always thrown out there. Train your children up. It's part of a spiritual exercising we're supposed to do. Spiritual calisthenics is make sure that you're building up so that you can impart that then to others. Give it to your kids, because here's the promise. When they grow older, they won't depart. I said, okay, wait a minute. Either I don't have this down right, or God's a liar, because my kids left. Kid left. Isn't that a true statement? My daughter was not walking in the faith in which she had come to know. She even made a decision for Jesus herself and got baptized on the same Sunday I did. Now, This isn't a matter of believing what daddy believes. You said you believed this. You accepted Jesus into your heart. Then you got baptized. So God, what's this about? See, that's where what happens is when we don't understand the word of God, we take it to mean all kinds of things that he didn't say. That's not what I said. And the only way you'll know that is studying it in more than what you know, if you know King James or the message or New Living or New American Standard or whatever version you're reading it in. How about this? Go back to the intent of what the passage says. Go back to what it actually says in their language. Do you know what it actually means? There's an impartation and that you are, in this good way, stained by the blood of the Lamb. And you can't get rid of the blood over you. It means you have a choice to make and you can do whatever you want to do. And it has consequences too. We all know that, don't we? Been there, done that? But what doesn't doesn't leave you is that knowledge of the truth. 
the knowledge of the truth doesn't leave them. And so they know where to come back to when they're done. Whatever that is, they know how to come back. That's why there's the prodigal. That's why there's a call to, to come back. There's the open the invitation that we've got to continue. No matter where our kids are at, we love them with not our human love. We've got to love them with the love of God. See, unconditional love. So there, whatever you do, and that's what I dealt with. And I remember going just because I'm just fresh out of Bible school. And I'm like, um, I, don't, I didn't like the way my pastor, who was my boss as well, how he dealt with me. He, he dealt with me in terms that, you know, I, I had allowed the strong man to come in and to, uh, to rape and pillage and have his way. And it was my fault. Well, I, didn't, I wasn't quite mature enough to understand that just yet. I understand that how does the strong man come in? Or I'm sorry, the devil come in or the thief come in unless he first binds the strong man. And then he can come in and have his way. Well, I didn't get the full context of that. I just knew that he was blaming me for my daughter making a choice. I didn't even know this was happening. And then she ends up pregnant. Well, guess what? There's no doubt about what we're doing with that. We're, we're, not, we're, we're, we're pro-life. We're pro-choice, meaning God chose. I don't like this, but he's the one who brought forth out of this, he brought forth a life. And thereby he redeemed something that was bad. He did something good with something that was bad. Sounds just like him, doesn't it? So we're not aborting. We're not going to, we considered adoption, placing the child, not giving up the child, placing the child, a big difference. And you know what? We had to learn that day something that the preacher was going to have to talk about, which is the grace of God. And we learned it firsthand. And we learned how I had to come to a point of being able to receive that which was conviction versus condemnation. Do you know the difference? One leads down and one leads up. Condemnation always goes down. And you know who's there. We believe that's where the the devil is. And conviction leads up. And that brings us to a repentance and always points us back toward God. You know, you can just do this when it comes down to the things that you're hearing that you've got to deal with. Is this, is this up or down? Just vote, up or down. Does this lead up toward God? Does this lead down? Amen? <clears throat> so last week, apostasy, abandonment, AWOL, falling away. Now, my daughter, I can speak like this before you. I'm not exposing her. Um, what it does is that she's come to a point of healing. She's come to a point of, of acknowledging God on her own terms, not according to how Papa uh, tells her who God is. She's had to learn that in the school of hard knocks. And so the good thing is, is you'll see her around. Her faith isn't perfected yet. She's not making perfect choices just yet, but I'd like to see somebody who is, I guess. The only one I know is up there. So guess what? Daddy has a longing for my daughter to do the things. And to one day, I can tell you that, that uh, to dance before the Lord in, in worship in spirit and in truth. And I can tell you that because that's, the father, that's my papa's cry for her because I know when she comes that way, she'll come full circle. And meanwhile, I know that he who holds her in the palm of his hand. Amen? So I want to give that to you, to if your sons or daughters are away. Maybe you're the one that's away and maybe you're seeking restoration. I know there's a young lady here today that we're, we're asking that of, of daddy to be restored in that relationship and for, for a, a total healing to come. And, and so guess what? Here, in this case, the daughter's doing the right thing, and Papa's the one who hasn't, who hasn't received yet. He's still holding it, hands, arms length.
So if that's you, just keep fighting that battle because God's on your side and he's pleased with your love for your father and, and seeking reconciliation and restoration. Amanda, I just want to tell you that I love you and I know what a delight you bring both to your earthly father but especially to your heavenly father because you're here. Amen? Hallelujah, Jesus. How about we give them... You don't know her story, but I can tell you it's worth applause for heaven. Amen? So 565, exactly what is that? Do you know the consequences of skipping a generation? Have you ever seen that? We're living today in light of the consequences of having skipped a generation of training up our children in righteousness. Because if you were a parent or you maybe you're a child of those in the 60s, that, that culture was, was asleep. That, cult, that culture checked out. And, and when it come down to the Jesus movement on the end of it, the backside of it, which I was just a little boy by then, um, that, that, that was a bringing together. But it was almost like a battle cry that rose up in our country because it had gone so far away from God. And so the free love and sex and all the other things of the 60s and drugs and that whole culture. And what we did is we raised up and rebellion began to be the, the mainstay. And people were in rebellion and they were rebelling against World War II and they were rebelling against uh, the Korean War and they were rebelling against Vietnam. And here they are, they're rebelling. And because of that, what happened is it was almost like restraint was cast aside. And because of that, we didn't want to be under authority. We wanted to be the authority. And that's that generation that wanted to be the authority. Nobody can tell me what to do. And some of you were there. And God brought you back. But the children birthed to those parents in rebellion. They weren't told to go to church. They weren't brought up in righteousness. They were brought up with humanistic, if not pagan, concepts. And thereby, what we've seen today is a whole generation nearly lost, except for the fact that God is greater. So he's still saving us. And so what has happened is, is that there's a whole generation where we run into them all the time that their parents didn't go to church and they don't go to church and they have no concept of that. Though they hear things like, we'll pray for you and they've heard of God and they've heard of Jesus, they haven't been made or disciplined or instructed in the faith. To set your hand to the plow of faith and say, this is where I'm going and I'm not turning to the right or to the left. They haven't grown up on the wisdom of God. They've grown up with earthly wisdom. And thereby, all we've got is a bunch of philosophies and we've got a bunch of arguments which come from the flesh. And what we lack is we lack the instruction that God's word gives us. And more and more, there's less and less people who actually have read the very books that they like to quote little mess-ups from. Like Job. They've heard of Job, but they have never really read Job. See? So they don't understand what it means to ply your faith in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. So train up your children in the way they should go. And you can trust God who is faithful to bring that right back to their remembrance. And they'll know when they're down and out, when they've scraped the bottom of the barrel, they'll know where to turn. They'll come back. And if you'll have open arms, you can kill the fatted calf on their behalf too and throw a party for this child who was gone has returned. And maybe this dad who abandoned has now stepped up to the plate. See, we can trust God because of his faithfulness. But turn to Deuteronomy chapter six, if you're not already there. 
this actually is where you're going to go. How many know what number the book of Deuteronomy is? How many books into the Bible is? How many? It's the fifth book. Anybody know what the first five are? Boy, that was clear. <laughs> I'm just messing. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. How many of you have never read Leviticus? Be honest. Good for your honesty. Genesis, Exodus, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Just turn five books in, you'll find Deuteronomy. That's five. Strength training is five. Fifth book, Deuteronomy, chapter six, five, six, five. What verse? Let's read it first. Then we'll go on. What's it say? You read it for me. It'll be up on the wall, I think. Verse five. What's it say? Wow, love him with all you've got. Now, some of you might know the old, kind of the older translation. What's that? Do you remember it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all you. Yeah. Everything you got, in other words. Well, guess what he, what he, I like this, this reason I'm putting it there is see the middle, middle words there? That's in you. With all that's in you. Guess what's in you? Spirit of God. He put his spirit in you from birth. Now, some of us are waiting for that, maybe that Holy Spirit part of it that he, he breathes on it and, and you become alive more so than even alive in Christ. It's the Holy Spirit who draws you to that place, see? So here's what it is. That's in you. Well, what does he want us to do? Love from what we know? What if you're broken and bruised and damaged and wounded? See, what if you're in a place of loss and lack? Oh, you're going to love God? Okay, I'll do it. No. What's in you is the potential. He put his potential in you. Isn't that awesome? That's that longing. That, that's that real desire that he put in you to, for greatness. Why? Because he couldn't help himself and he put some of his greatness in you. See? That explains it, doesn't it? And meanwhile... Ever since your birth, the devil's been trying to suppress that and oppress that and to to wipe that out. If he can't wipe it out, he tried to get you to wipe it out. And then he put somebody else on assignment to help wipe that out. And so what we're doing today is just calling forth. It's in you. He's given you the ability to worship him in spirit and in truth. It's referring to that which he gave you. So it's in you. You already have it in you. And for those who have given themselves and said, Jesus, come and save me, guess what? You got an extra measure. And for those of you who have been filled with the Holy Spirit, you waited and you've asked for and you've sought, and then you've received. Guess what? You're three up. That's three up. Let's start at verse one, though. Ready? This is the commandment, the rules and regulations that God, your God, commanded me to teach you to live out in the land you're about to cross into to possess. Now, very clearly, this is coming from Egypt into the promised land. So Moses has been the one who is going to be their shepherd to lead them from bondage to freedom. That's part of the reason I exist, folks. This is so that you'll live in deep reverence before God lifelong, observing all his rules and regulations that I'm commanding you 
you and your children and your grandchildren living good, long lives. That's called impartation right there, isn't it? You, your, your children, your grandchildren. Listen obediently, people, Israel. Do what you're told so that you'll have a good life, a life of abundance and bounty, just as God promised in a land abounding or flowing in milk and honey. Attention, Israel, God's people. God, our God, God, the one and only. Love God, your God, with your whole heart. Love him with all that's in you. Love him with all you've got. Write these commandments that I've given you today on your hearts. Get them inside of you. And then get them inside your children. Talk about them wherever you are. Sitting at home or walking in the street. Talk about them from the time you get up in the morning to when you fall into bed at night. Let me just pause there. Many people do church here and then they leave it here. And they go out and they don't want to talk about God and don't raise your voice. When I was young and my mom would get in the, into a restaurant or any... I can remember standing at, at Walt Disney or whatever it is, Disney World in Florida. And we're standing in line and mom begins talking about Jesus and God. And I'm just like, hello, how small can we go? How low can we go? Because I just don't want to really be seen. Mom's being geeky. Mom's being weird. See, I didn't have that, so all it was is an embarrassment to me. Mama was doing the right thing. She's living her faith, and she's talking about dreams and visions and things that God is doing. And me as a kid, I'm, I'm acting like, gosh, they're embarrassing me. Mom's embarrassing me. And she did the right thing, I, I think. I don't know, if, Mom, if you ever listen to this message, grabbing me by the ear and saying, you're going to love Jesus. <laughs> That was the right thing. Even if it led me to wonder, you know what I mean? That was the right thing. You will love Jesus or die. No. (laughs) Tie them on your hands, verse 8. Tie them on your hands and foreheads as a reminder. Inscribe them on the doorposts of your homes and on your city gates. When God, your God, ushers you into the land he promised through your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, speaking of covenant there, to give you, you're going to walk into large, bustling cities you didn't build, well-furnished houses you didn't buy, come upon wells you didn't dig, vineyards and olive orchards you didn't plant. When you take it all in and settle down, pleasant and pleased and content, make sure you don't forget how you got there. God brought you out of slavery, bondage in Egypt. Deeply respect God, your God. Serve and worship him exclusively. Can you say exclusively? Yeah, exclusively. Back up your promises with his name only. Don't fool around with other gods, the gods of your neighbors, because God, your God, who is alive among you, is a jealous God. Don't provoke him, igniting his hot anger that would burn you right off the face of the earth. Don't push God, your God, to the wall as you did that day at Masa, the testing place. Carefully keep the commands of God, your God, all the requirements and regulations he gave you. Do what is right. Do what is good in God's sight so you'll live a good and pleasant, I'm sorry, you'll live a good life and be able to march in and take this pleasant land that God so solemnly promised through your ancestors, throwing out your enemies left and right. Exactly as God said. 
The next time your child asks you, what are these requirements and regulations and rules that God, our God, has commanded me? Tell your child, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and God powerfully intervened and got us out of that country. We stood there and watched as God delivered miracle signs, great wonders, and evil visitations on Egypt, on Pharaoh and his household. He pulled us out of there so he could bring us here and give us the land he so solemnly promised to our ancestors. That's why God commanded us to follow all these rules, so that we would live reverently before God, our God, as he gives us this good life, keeping us alive for a long time to come. Do you know what he's doing is he's talking to a people who have made a fresh covenant before they're about to enter into the promised land. They renewed a covenant that that they made with God. And so Moses isn't talking to a bunch of unbelievers and unchurched people. He's talking to people, a bunch of people who showed up at church. See, he's saying, you're God. See, you're God. You made him God. He is God, but you made him God. So now he's your God. And this God of yours, see, there's a way we ought to live before him. So here, I want to give you these key words. And then I'm I'm actually on the last little portion right here, just so you know. I'm going to read one last part, but here it will be. In verse 25, it says, it will be a set right and put together life for us if we make sure that we do this entire commandment in the presence of God, our God, just as he commanded us to do. You see that? A set right and put together life. How many of you had an exact opposite kind of existence before you accepted Jesus? Huh? A set right and put together life. So set wrong and all kinds of chaos. See what I mean? You're whacked out, weren't you? So it will be a set right and put together life for us if, if we make sure that we do this entire commandment. Now, let me call your attention back to a few things. It's got one, two, three, four, five words. I'm going to give it to you. Begin with is faithfulness. I want you to look back on verse 2. You want to pull that up on the computer? Verse 2 says, This is so that you'll live in deep reverence before God, lifelong, observing all His rules and regulations. See? that I'm commanding you, you and your children and your grandchildren living good long lives. You know what that word is? It's called faithfulness. If you'll be faithful, then you'll see my faithfulness in your generations to come. And that's been the consequence we're trying to overcome is what happened to try to undo. And God, he left a remnant, didn't he? And he saved many out of that, that time of rebellion. And so here we are today trying to see that happen again so, so that we... We can now pass this faith onto our children and to our children's children and their children. That's called legacy. So faithfulness. All the days and that your days be many, see? The next one is in verse 5. Love God, your God, with your whole heart. Love him with all that's in you. Love him with all you've got. And I would add the word continually. Or let me tell you how John chapter 15 verse 4 says, abiding. See? So the first, first key word for you this morning about being able to strength training is one is faithfulness. How many know? Noah, you're a, you're a physical fitness guy. How, how can you just go out a couple times a year and, you know, end up being buff? So it's, it's a matter you have to go on a, a regiment. Isn't that what they call most of, of what we do as far as physically a habit of, of fitness? So folks, we need to have a regiment of spiritual disciplines that we follow these to the T. 
Not according to what we want to do, because sometimes we just don't want to do it. And so what we do is we have to come back to somebody who is our life coach, uh, a.k.a. Holy Spirit, and allow him to speak to us. And he'll convict us of both sin and of righteousness. So he'll draw us and woo us to the Bible itself. Amen? So pretty soon we develop a hunger and you're thinking, man, I really want to read the Word of God. I haven't, you know, oh, I haven't read the Word all week long. Does anybody ever have that where you go and you've just been slack and then all of a sudden God puts a hunger like you've got to find a Bible right now and you've got to read it? Anybody get that? Yeah, that's him. He loves it. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And I love that it's one of my sayings lifelong is he, he, he gives me the hunger and thirst. He gives me the longing and then he satisfies me. Isn't that cool? I don't have to muster that. So abiding, um, abiding is, is one, faithfulness is doing it repetitiously, making sure, being faithful to it, right? The second one is abiding. In verse 5, that's what this is, abiding. Abiding in the vine is what he says. If you don't abide in the vine, what happens to us? We end up malnutrition. We end up withering away. We end up with no life source, no water that's just pumping through the veins. See what I mean? Through the vine. And so what happens is we end up being cast off. We're we're no good for anything except fuel for the fire. So abiding is the second one. The next one is in verse 7. Abiding in his love. Verse 7 says, and then get them inside your children. Talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home or walking in the street. Talk about them from the time you get up in the morning to when you fall into bed at night. It's not like churches for Sunday mornings, talking about God as Sunday mornings. Oh, I'll give them the whole day Sunday. Hello, what'd you do the rest of the time? So the the next one, the the word there is diligence. Be diligent. See, what is it? Faithful is one thing. Being diligent is another word. Similar sister words, but I'm telling you, diligence means here, I'm going to continue because I know you forgot it already. I asked somebody, I asked them about the lessons this week at camp. You know what? That was just yesterday. They only got back the day before, already forgetting some of the principles that they learned. I said, don't tell me how you were taught by them. Don't give me their words. Give me your words. Tell me the principle you got a hold of. Bless God, they got a hold of a principle. So I heard it in their own language. That's what we need. Don't spout off what you heard Joel Osteen or John Hagee or, or that lady or Beth Moore or somebody else say. What God say to you about it? If you can't reproduce it, then that means you didn't really get it. You can't be diligent with the truth that you haven't actually embraced to the point where you can say it in your own terms, in your own vernacular, meaning your own words. Throw them big words out there. Wow. Thank you, God. Okay, verse 7. Diligence. Ready? Two more. Verse 20. I'm picking out some things. Yes, read the whole thing for yourself. You'll get more out of it. But verse 20. The next time your children ask you, what do these requirements and regulations and rules that God, our God has commanded mean? Then you go on from there, verse 21, 22. Then it talks about Egypt and it talks about Pharaoh and it talks about the history of being in bondage. How long were they in bondage, dad? Don't bother me, I'm busy right now. How long were they in bondage? What's bondage mean, dad? Slavery. What's slavery mean, dad? Oh, you mean what they did to the black people? No, what they did to the white people before they did it, the black people. Hello, that part of history is almost wiped out. Because when we think of slavery, we think of black and white versus thinking about some of the first slaves were God's own people. 
Hello? That don't play very, very well on the airwaves. Why? Because he said, I'm not going to subject you to anything that I won't be subjected to myself. And Jesus ultimately became the slave of all slaves, that we would all be set free. Wow. You know what that's called right there in verse 20? It's history. You got to tell the kids history. It's what you read in the Psalms. You'll read that David, then he goes and he says, yes, I was being chased and yes, I was being despised. And yes, they were throwing spears at me. Even the king who was, I was playing music for. Well, how'd you learn about that? Because dad said, because mom said, I learned some of these things. I learned about Jonah running and how he didn't want to do what God said. God swallowed him a big fish. Did he really swallow him in a big fish? I've never heard of any guy like that. I knew of a guy who's got his leg bit off and it was in a shark and the guy, he's got a stump and then the shark, they found that shark someday and there was that leg inside and he had like a size nine shoe. But I've never known that a man could live inside of a fish for like three days. Well, I can't hold my breath underwater more than a minute, dad. Yeah, but here's what God can do. All things are possible with God. Don't look to be swallowed by a big fish. Be obedient to God. Yeah, dad, I don't want to be swallowed by a big fish. See? That's called history. And then verse 24, look at this. This is, this is a, the big word over verse 24, survival. That's why God commanded us to follow all these rules. So that we would live reverently before God, our God as he gives us this good life, keeping us alive for a long time to come. That's called survival. See? Now you can barely get by, you can exist, or you can thrive. Guess what God wants you to do? He wants you to thrive, and that doesn't have anything to do with material success. Thriving, for me, one of the spiritual high places of thriving is if someday I can see somebody healed by the laying on of hands. If I could walk on water, oh, I believe it's possible. I just haven't God say, haven't had him say, go walk on water. If he ever does, you can, you can find me down there. I'll just keep getting wet until he keeps me dry. Huh? Yeah. Survival. So here it is. Faithfulness, verse 2. Abiding, verse 5. Verse 7 is diligence. Verse 20 is history. Verse 24 is survival. How many of you have seen there's a new video game coming out? It's one of those killing, you know, things and blood squirts onto the screen and all that kind of stuff that our kids are playing. You know, it's daughters and sons. They're all playing these games. But this new one came out, which really sets the record straight and tells everybody how they ought to live their lives so that they can live long. Did you know that? A video game coming out that's telling people, telling our kids how they can actually have a long life. Here's, here's, the, here's the tagline on the video, the way it, it really ends. You can live your morals and die, or you can do whatever it takes and live. You'll see, if you watch any TV, you'll see that commercial, and it comes on. It's a video game. I'll get you the title for it so that you can avoid it in your own home. You can live your morals and die, or you can do whatever it takes and live. See, the world's teaching our kids how to survive. This happens to be about how many people you kill because then you get scores for the amount of people you kill and how bad the killing is. You wonder why we've got problems in theaters and in schools and people think it's about guns. 
It's not about guns, folks. I'm telling you, they use those guns, but they would use whatever they need to if it's, if it's, if it's uh, um, pressure cookers. Do you get the idea? I didn't hear for a ban on pressure cookers. The idea is, is that something wicked has entered into our culture and it's called a rebellion, and it's a rebellion against the morality which God has ascribed. And what God ascribes is the way he wants us to live our lives. And if we'll live our lives, it will go well with us. And if we'll teach our children, they won't grow up with reckless abandon and they won't grow up doing whatever feels good. They'll grow up with morality and principles so they'll understand and have a reverent fear for God and they'll want to honor him and serve him. Why? Because we turned them back toward him. You can live your morals and die or you can do whatever it takes and live. That's why we have to let our light shine brighter than the light that comes through, the, through that TV. Here it is, reproducing, four things I want you to get. Reproducing his presence, because that's what we're created to do, is to reproduce his presence in us. He says we're created in his image. We're supposed to reproduce that image. So here's how you do that. Part of it's called presence and impartation. There's nothing like time in, folks. Moms and dads, give your kids time. Give them more time. Give them your time. You're the one who decides how you spend your time. Give them more time. Number two is being practical. Common sense. Show them. Teach them how to have common sense. Teach them how practical faith can be in life. Teach them what the Bible says. It it has an answer for virtually every kind of question. You know somebody's teaching them? See in the bulletin? Who's providing answers for you or for your kids? Are you deferring to a school system? Are you deferring to a sports team? Are you, are you, are you letting that go and letting some social club? Are you just letting it happen in those places, gathering places where they happen to meet? And they'll give you their opinions. That's why we tell the teams, we go up for answers, not out for answers. What are they going to tell you? Their best guess? Hello, if you've lost the place of talking and speaking into your kids' lives, you find a way back in. You don't give up. You don't say, yeah, they don't listen to me anymore. Hello, I wouldn't listen to you anymore either if you talk like that. Over here, over here, over here. Thank you for the ear pulling. Wisdom. You got to unlock their potential. You got to give them wisdom. You got to find a way to relate to them. Give them wisdom, not from this life here. Give them wisdom from God. If you lack wisdom, the Bible actually says, you can ask him for wisdom and he'll give it what? Without measure, he'll give more than you need. But you got to go to him. He's the one. Get that wisdom from heaven, which will transform your kids' lives, your family. Wisdom, unlock their potential. The, 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 the next one is tangible. You got to sow to reap so that they can reap. Your children, your wife, your families, your neighbors, your co-workers. You got to sow. What do you sow? Flesh or you sow righteousness? See, you got to sow what God has put in you, what you've come to know of him. You got to have on you some sort of pressure 
that when you speak before people, you better have living water in you so that out of you flows living water. Because what will happen is you know what, they're depending on you for life-giving words, wisdom. And then you're going to take that and you're going to say, I better have the word of God in my heart so that I can impart it. Don't give them what you, you can't give them what you don't have. Tangible. So to reap so that they can reap. And the last one is reveal. You know what that is? You got to let them know you. Moms and dads. You got to let them know you. Do you know that there's some in this room you've been spared of some of the lessons in life because your mom or dad didn't want to to bother you with those things? One of the greatest things is because my mom and dad had a lack of understanding of finances that they didn't teach that to us. Now, we had to learn those lessons by the school of hard knocks. Hello, is that really? You, You wanted me to get beat up like this? No, of course not. Well, we didn't know. Well, then find out. If you don't know, find out. Ted and Terry, sometime in the fall, we're going to put together a date for Financial Peace University. Yes, become a student of stewardship, of finances. If you don't know how, if you've never been through one, then then suck it up. Get into the class so you can learn this stuff. Let them know you. You've got to share at a deep level, moms and dads. You can't continue to walk aloof from them. Do you know one of the ways we do that? We, it alluded to here in, in, the, in the verses, in Deuteronomy chapter 6. You know what it says? Is when they ask a question, put down the paper and get down to their level so they're not intimidated looking up at you. And then put on those eyes of compassion and say, yeah, buddy, did you have a question? And they might say, when are we going to eat? <laughs> do you know what? Don't, don't shoo them away. Don't, don't push them off. Don't tell them come back later. Don't tell them you're busy. Repent of those kinds of things. Instead say, God, help me that when I get that opportunity and I can speak and I can impart that I will give them words, not of human origin, but God, your words, and it will impart and this will be life-giving and transforming and it will sustain them. That will come back to them in their moment of need They'll get that, that truth and they'll know me and they'll know some of my own scars and they'll know my own battles at the age appropriate. And they'll be able to come to me because they know I've been there. I've fought that battle and I carry a scar that they don't have to. But you can't hide your lives away. I learned certain things when my dad at my dad's funeral, I learned that there's a first daughter that isn't one of my older sisters. Oh, a great time to find out about that kind of stuff. You could have spared me some things, Dad, by sharing that with me while I'm a young man. Do you get it? Oh, well, you can't, uh, you know, you don't want to talk about your failures. Oh, yes, you do. In an appropriate way, yes, you do. Why? Do they have to really break an arm for them to understand it? Or can they just know, here's a picture of Dad with a broken arm. Here it is. Share at a deep level spiritually. And if you do it spiritually, here's what will happen. You with this thing will be like trickle down. You know what will happen? Spiritual, you start without or build up from the ground up, foundational, whatever, which way you want to work at it. It will affect your finances. 
It'll make a difference in, your physic, in you physically because you're going to be a better steward with the temple. Physically, relational. You've got to be relationally deep. You've got to engage. You've got to look into your kids' eyes. You've got to sit them on your lap. You've got to talk about what's really going on. Don't just do kind of like the hags and handshakes. How you doing? No, wait. Stop and listen for how they're really doing. Relational. Intellectual. Don't, don't think that your kids are, are they're, they're smarter than, than many times. They're definitely smarter than we were at that age. But they're, they're, they're intelligent. They're brilliant. Get to know their brilliance. Share your own brilliance. Trust them with some big words and throw out some things and challenge them in life. You kind of are speaking to their potential. So spiritual, financial, physical, relational, and intellectual. And the last one is emotion. Go deep with them. Be willing to weep with them when they're weeping. Be able to have fun. and Relax or chillax, I think is the new word. Chillax. Chill and relax, I guess that's combined. That's chillax. But you know what? You've got to let them see the heart of God that he's cultivated in you. And that's really what that's about. Let's pray. Big message, God.